This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And welcome to the Oak Road Hatter Podcast with me, Jamie Castle. And today we are joined by no less than seven special guests as we preview the race for the Championship playoffs. We'll talk to a fan of each of the six other clubs battling out alongside us to finish in the top six before we take an in-depth legal perspective on, on what a crucial last eight games of our regulation season. But for now, I'm joined by Oak Road regulars Billy Mully and Dylan Bundia, and also special guest Ian Robertson of We Are Luton Town. Billy, Dylan, how are you doing? Good, mate. Good. Good. Bored, but <laughs> excited for Saturday. Um, very bored in the international break. Yeah, Saturday can't come quick. Yeah, we were just chatting about how boring a game it was for, for, on Saturday for England. So it's not it's not doing a good job of, of keeping us entertained during the two-week break. And, um, and Ian, thanks for joining us today, making your Oak Road Hatter debut. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Cheers, Jamie. Yeah, Again, similar, just bored, but obviously looking forward to Saturday and it's just you just keep looking at the table and keep assessing stuff and nothing ever changes. It's still the same outcome and you're still, you know, you know, no nearer are you? But yeah, looking forward to Saturday. Yeah, I was going to say, we're sat here now at the start of the second week of the break and Luton Town have been third in the Championship for nine days now. Um, I'm not sure about you, but at the start of the season, I was pretty confident that that would be in a good place, but probably fighting for a playoff spot, but I never thought that We'd, we'd be fighting for a spot from, from third. I, I thought we'd be more sort of eighth or ninth. So it's been pretty surreal, hasn't it? Yeah. Do you know what? That was my, my exact prediction before the season started. It was eight, eighth or ninth <clears throat> in that area. Just, you know, continual progression from, from last season. But um, I think I've said before that, you know, I thought that the, the reshape of the squad might have impacted our progression um, any further than that. But obviously... It's not, so they've jodded a little bit quicker, but yeah, it's been great to see. 
Yeah, and we've got loads of Luton to talk about, but let's start with the perspectives of the other six clubs alongside us fighting for the playoffs. Both Billy and myself over the last few days have taken some time to speak with fellow bloggers and podcasters of their clubs to get their perspective on their club season so far before previewing their run-in through to the final day of the season on, on May the 7th. We'll first start with Forrest in ninth, working our way up the table to Huddersfield in fourth before returning with the four of us to take a look at Luton's final eight games. So without further ado, we hope you enjoy these short segments and we'll be back with you later in the show. And we're now here with Des Oldham, a Nottingham Forest fan. And, and Des, you'll be, you'll be happy to know that the majority of the people we've spoken to so far have Forest um, pretty much in third place and, and you know, fancying Forest to go on and, and secure a playoff place. How does that feel that, that you know, you, you take into account the start of the season and to be talking about Forest in one of the, the playoff positions? It, it's just been a, a complete and utter change of everything. And, and you know, for, from Steve Cooper walking through the doors, it, it's just been on an upward trajectory. Absolutely. The first thing I take from all of that is um, the fact that other people believe it as well. It's not just blind optimism. Um, we've had a brilliant season so far. Couldn't imagine how it was going to turn out. From the moment Steve Cooper walked in, everything changed. feel like we can win any game. Prove that in the FA Cup. And even going into the Liverpool game, we're... Of course, we got beat, but we was only edged out of it slightly towards the end of the match. It just shows how far we've come. And the the real reason for optimism, it, 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 the sky's the limit almost right now when we believe that we're definitely going to secure a playoff place and hopefully be good enough to, to go all the way and get into the Premiership after 23 years. Yeah, I think it's um, definitely interesting what you say about the, the FA Cup and, you know, some, some brilliant performances. I know eventually edged out by Liverpool, but, you know, they are one of, if not the best team in, in England. So, you know, it was a very, very good performance and a lot to be positive about from the FA Cup run. Do you think that that sort of has, has transformed your mind about, you know, going on and securing a playoff place and, and looking even further has transformed sort of your opinions on if you were to get in the Premier League that you could at least be competitive with all these, you know, with all these these top clubs? Yeah, I think the reason the FA Cup has been so important to Forest is it's tend to come after a, a bad result. We had a couple of defeats after a long sort of unbeaten one over Christmas and then the, it was the third round of the FA Cup and I was I was really intrigued to see how we approached the game against Arsenal and we won that and then we won two or three big league games. We played Derby the week after, we played Millwall away. You know, tough games at, at the best of times but we, we come through them and, and all of a sudden we was confident again. The players was using the confidence that they took into the games where they did get beat. But then the next round we played Leicester and before that we had a really poor performance. Just one of those where, where teams have a, an off day. Cardiff were really struggling. We were flying. Cardiff won the game and we, we played Leicester the game after and we had to bounce back again. And the FA Cup gave us great momentum and sort of almost a free hit to, to play ourselves back into form. And that that's what it's kind of been like since then where... Building up to the Liverpool game, obviously everybody was excited. Everyone was 
buzzing, flying. Players seem to be right in form again. Brennan Johnson and Jed Spence have got that got that link up. So it's really give us a platform and, and make us believe that we can win these big games. I touched on the Millwall game there. It's always hard to go to Millwall. We we in the between the fifth and sixth round we played Blackburn away, and I felt it was quite comfortable. I felt the players, whilst Blackburn had a few chances to start with, we we withheld what they had to throw at us, and then the confidence just overtook. James Garner, Keenan Davis, looking really sort of composed and looking like Premiership players. So going into a game against Blackpool. Luton over Easter, where they're, they're going to be almost six pointers. We're, we're really confident with those. We played Sheffield Sheffield United a couple of weeks ago, and we scored a last minute goal, but we should have won that game quite comfortably. And that's really that game in particular has really given me the confidence to believe that we can definitely get there. Like I say, and then sort of get through what are always massive games, semi-finals, finals. And looking a bit further to that, if they were to reach the Premier League, I just see the transformation already. And whilst Liverpool did outclass us in parts, that they outclass mid to lower half teams in the Premiership. So I definitely think we could hold our own. I look at what Chris Wilder did a couple of years ago at Sheffield United. I think we're better equipped with some of the talent we've got at disposal. The fear is if we don't get there, we're going to lose that and, and kind of have to rebuild again. And as you say, there, there has been a couple of near misses in the past and you know some excellent Forest teams that have just missed out on promotion to the Premier League. Would you say this is the most excited you've been in a while in terms of the team that, that Steve Cooper has at his disposal? Yeah, the, 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 some of the, some of the players are Premiership players already in the in the waiting, but already in my opinion, we've got Joe Wall, Brennan Johnson, Jed Spence, who we know one way or another that we're playing in the Premier League. There was already sort of a prospect. Then Cooper came in and he's made them even better. That that's the the biggest impact he's had. It. it it's not so much the tactics. I, I kind of put it down to tactics initially, and it must be because this is the way it is. But he's developed players, and this is the reputation he's got in the game. So not not only did we have players who were already being lined up for big things, he's made these sort of top top players. You look at Jed Spence, for example. We could have probably signed him for fifty thousand from Middlesbrough when we signed him. He was just surplus to to requirements. And and I look back at someone like Matt Cash in previous years who's gone on to Villa. Spence is probably going to miss that stepping stone out. You know, Cash has been linked with Atletico Madrid and bigger moves. Spence is probably going to go to the likes of Tottenham or Arsenal or, you know, these really real big premiership teams. And it just shows how, how far they've come. And when you watch him play and you're watching play with Brennan Johnson, the pace is absolutely frightening. And any team with pace has got half a chance. So with pace and ability and confidence, it's it, it's the reason I'm so optimistic. One thing for sure, I'm not looking forward to having to play against Nottingham Forest. I can I can openly say that on the podcast. But again, looking at Steve Cooper, Nottingham Forest is showing top two form under him. Again, that that must give you confidence that you know it, things might get tight at the moment. Things are looking 
you know, a little bit uncertain given given the fact that there are games to catch up on and the fact that you're not quite in the playoffs at the moment, but the fact that you've been showing top two form, you know, it, it, uh, competing with Fulham in that respect since Steve Cooper has arrived, that, that must give you another sense of optimism. Definitely. And it's not normally something I'd look, you, you can only look at a season, you can only gain points in one season. I normally wouldn't compare that kind of thing, but because there's been such a change, we got one point from seven games before Cooper came in. And then, well, before Chris Hewton was sacked, then we, we started winning from that point. And you, you look at that form and, and it's incredible, really, to, to, to see such a dramatic change. And if you take it over the next so many games and, and points per game, again, it just pushes us right up the table. It's a little bit frustrating that we've not got to the playoffs and, and kind of set ourselves in there already, purely because of the FA Cup one, I guess, and, and, the, and the backlog of games. And some of the games we've missed, uh, Fulham and Bournemouth in particular, you, we might not have picked points up in those games. We might have got beaten away. So it's interesting to see how that pans out. But that might has also worked back in our favour later in the season. But no, those teams could potentially be promoted by the time we play them. So again, it... it, it it, it just seems to be working out at the moment. It just seems... And once these, once the games play kind of level off, I think we'll be quite comfortably in a, in a playoff spot. And what, my colleague, he, he gave me a little bit of analysis, uh, analysis beforehand, uh, sort of looking at the, the run-ins and, you know, seven of Forest's last 10 games uh, against teams that, that we call on the beach side, sides that don't really have too much to play for. And whilst that does look it does look appealing it sometimes can be a bit of a concern you know you, you can't go into these games thinking that they are on the beach no not at all because that's when football tends to bite back isn't it it's uh it's the championship at the end of the day and anybody can beat anybody i, I mentioned the cardiff game when when they were really struggling we didn't it, it didn't feel like we we shown the right application that day, and that's the only time I'd ever question it under Cooper. One or two injuries went against us, you know. Lewis Graben went off, and and just one or two things happened that didn't work out. And and if you take take your eye off the ball, so to speak, you will you will lose games because because that's what happens in the championship. And at this time of the season, when you're playing teams who have just got that freedom, I guess, to go out there and, and perform. Everybody's playing for contracts. The way football is these days, contracts aren't as long and as and they're more important to earn new deals. So you, you've just got to stay at it. And, and I think we've got the right manager to do that. I think the way Steve Cooper prepares the team, he, he's, he's a, he seems to be a great man-manager. And he says the right things at the right time. Very clever in the way he speaks. I, th- I think sometimes it is a little bit calculated and and he knows he's, he's pushing the right buttons. That's probably the way of putting it. And I think we've got the right man to do that in this situation. And pressed for an answer about Forrest and, and whether they'll get a playoff spot. I, I guess you're going to say yes, so I'll move the question on a little bit further. Are you confident that that Forest can finish in you know third or fourth, so they they get that that home tie at the City Ground, the, the second, for the the um the second tie of of the semi finals. 
I'm really, really confident that they'll finish third. But there's there's one kind of there's a flip side to that. I look back at what happened to Rotherham last season when when they was fighting against relegation. And I know it's a different scenario, but they had a lot. They they got a little bit of form, better form than the other teams around them. And because of the COVID situation, they had they had a build up of games, and and ultimately they they burnt out a little bit. And I'm just a little bit cautious of that. We're a bit thin on numbers. The one thing, whilst I'm really, really confident when we can put a first eleven out and and the few additions that were made in January made the world a difference to the squad, beyond that, we, we, we struggle a little bit with replacements. At the moment, we, we're heavily reliant on Keenan Davis, for example, up front. Lewis Grabwin's on his way back. Sam Suiz does a job. The, there's... There's defenders out at the minute as well. A couple of real key defenders in Cook and McKenna. So it's going to be interesting how we deal with these. But every time we've had this kind of situation, the Cardiff game I keep referring to, Grabham was injured. That Some of the fans went, that's the end of the season. But we came back from it again. Davis scored in that game and his confidence seemed to build. It just seems at the right times things are happening. So I'm really confident we can get third or fourth, get that home tie in the second leg. And push on from there, but just just a little bit of caution. I think I think from where we started, it's given us a little bit of a a realistic sense of where we're at as well, which is not always the case with Forest fans. Well, thank you very much, Des, and best of luck for Forest in this um, entertaining running. Thank you. Now I'm here joined by Ash Rose, a QPR fan. Ash, how are you doing? I'm good, Bill. Thank you for having me on the show. No problem at all. It's um, well, this is the final interview that I've conducted today. Uh, a great, great insight to the perspective of other fans and you know where they value loot and where they value their other playoff uh, chasing counterparts. And it's been a, a really, really interesting, well, a really interesting episode so far. So, Ash. Thank you very much for coming on and giving us a QPR perspective on things. First of all, I will ask you about this this sort of recent run of form. Mm. Four losses in the last five with that that one win, of course, being over the <laughs> Yeah, sorry so, about uh, that. <laughs> it's yeah, difficult difficult for us Hatters fans when uh, when we come to play against QPR. But ultimately this is a sort of a two week break and you know it, it could be pivotal in QPR's campaign. It could be, although I, I do fear the worst, to be honest, Bill, because we've lost our best player of the season through injury in Chris Willock, who's been ruled out for the rest of the season. Um, we've obviously got a goalkeeping crisis as well. Um, we're on our fourth goalkeeper this season in 37-year-old Kieran Westwood uh, after getting a few others injured. So it feels like slightly this team may possibly have peaked too early this season and it's just this last section of the season, too many things are going against them. We've got quite a lot of players possibly not in the best form. We've got a horrible run in as well. We've got a lot of tough games coming up, starting with Fulham after the international break, which is obviously a derby and they're top of the league. Then we've got uh, Sheffield United home and away because one of the games is a, a rescheduled game from a COVID cancellation early in the season. So it's going to be a difficult end to the season. Um, it shouldn't dilute what has been a very impressive season under Mark Warburton and, and more progress from him. But I think once we've having been in the top six pretty much the entire season to drop out at this stage is 
is disappointing and I unfortunately I don't see us recovering from this I want to call it a blip but I think it's more the team has just this last bit has just been too much and they've, they've almost just not been able to get over that final hurdle and looking at the season on sort of looking at the very start of things as you touched on there it was a, a for large parts of the season a very very good campaign um, you went, went for a spell, I think it was during the first time where we played you, you, you were sort of in unplayable form. You, you didn't have to be at your best, but yeah. you were picking up results. And it's been a, a fair few different um, parts of this season. That there's been parts where you've looked absolutely unplayable, times where you haven't needed to be at your best and you've been able to pick up maximum points. And then there's obviously been this sort of last few weeks where you know the results are not, not quite following following what they had been. Yeah, I, I think it's a combination of things. I think we we haven't always been at our best. You really you, you hit the nail on the head slightly there. We haven't always played. There's not been many games where I've come out and gone. We've played that team off the park. We've we've always got the result. That seemed to be the kind of mantra. I think at one point, I'm not sure if it's still the same. We would, we accrued the most points from losing positions in the whole of the championship. I'm not sure if that's still. But as up to a couple of weeks ago, I think that was still. still and we start. We basically followed on from the the run we had from last season if you look back to last January when we brought in the four loans in Charlie Austin Stephanie Johansson Stanfield and, and Geordie DeVoice we got we managed to make all those signings permanent which I don't think any QPR fan envisaged last summer that we'd get all four of them on a permanent basis and I think that keeping that nucleus of the squad and adding here and there gave us kind of hope that we'd finish at least in the playoffs and we continued that into into the new season and it was Come Christmas, there was real big hopes. And come January, I think we went unbeaten. We were one win away from going second. And it really felt like the good times were, were, were coming back at Loftus Road. And it's just seemed this final hurdle, a nice chair going to the African nations and coming back not quite the same player. He doesn't look, he didn't really play in the AFCON. So I, I think he, that upset his momentum and he hasn't really been back to what he was. Uh, he was a match winner for us earlier in the season. And he hadn't really seen that since, added to the fact that we've now lost Chris Willick as well. It, it, it's just, it's all, everything's kind of just gone wrong at the just wrong time, basically, um, for QPR. And it's it's just, it's difficult. It's a little bit of a bitter pill to swallow because I think for a long time there, I think we were we were really onto something because and, and it's a really likeable team as well, I, I think, which sounds a strange thing to say of the team you support, but there are a lot of good characters in this team. Um, Lyndon Dykes is another one who's, who's been in and out with season as well, injury as well. But yeah, it's it, it was a fantastic start. It's just a bit of a shame that I'm I'm not sure we're going to finally make that top six now. Yeah, now Luton sitting in third. I think mm. that the story from from QPR this season, the story from Blackburn and, and perhaps Huddersfield now is that you don't really want to be third. It seems <laughs> yeah, that it's true. A bit of a curse at the moment. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm hoping West Brom as well. I think they were in that position at one point, aren't they? So it's yeah. the championship, though. It it it's why it's such a fascinating league because who'd have thought that you know the likes of Huddersfield would be up there, Blackburn to assess, then Luton, even QPR. I mean, we were fancied as an underdog, but I don't think we'd ever everyone thought we'd sort of go to the top, you know, three if if possible. So it just shows you the the nature of the championship. And going on to the running. Um, your remaining games, three of them at home, is do you feel that that's a little bit concerning, or, or do you kind of get to this point in the season and you know form goes out the window? It's all about mentality rather than you know the, the physical attributes that you bring to to a football pitch. It it sort of gets played in the heads. Do you, do you sort of agree that 
that comes into the fray a little bit more than, you know, perhaps mid-season. Possibly. Yeah. I mean, I'm hoping form does go out the window, to be honest, because ours has been so terrible in the last few weeks. We want it to, to go um, the opposite way. But it, it's different. It's the business end of the season. You do wonder if slightly a few players, the pressure of, of, of staying in that top six has got to them slightly or we may now see that the pressure slightly off. There's, you know, we're not in that top six. Will they have a little bit of that relief because every game isn't, oh, we've got to stay in that pack and they may be able to play their game um, a little bit better as well. I mean, I talked about the loan signings last year. The loan signings that are coming this year, I'm not sure they've gelled in as well as, as the small nucleus of the squad. Because we have, that's another thing, we've got quite a small squad and Warbur- that's a Warburton factor. He likes to have a quite a close-knit small squad and I think that's been another factor where we haven't been able to rotate as much. So our players have played a long season, back-to-back games. Obviously, championship is relentless. Um, so bringing in Dion Sanderson and Jeff Hendrick seem like a good idea on paper, but I don't know if they've both been what they would hope they would be as as low-knee signings at this stage of the season, season, especially Sanderson, who seems to have now dispelled Johan Barbe uh, to the bench, which I'm not sure most QPR fans would agree with because I think he's... He's a big hero at QPR. He played like 97 consecutive championship games, which I think is ridiculous for for somebody in this day and age. But let's hope so. They're tough games ahead. It's not so. There's still a chance. We're still within touch and distance. But as we say, the championship, it's so hard to predict. I guess the the notion of having one of the more difficult run-ins is the fact that you you get to play all these teams Mm. that are in and around yourselves. And, you know, it, it does put everything into your own hands. I know you've got Sheffield United to, to play twice, uh, a team that have suffered quite a lot of injuries themselves. Fulham as well, again, you know, they're not quite on the beach yet, but they're approaching that, that kind of time. Yeah. So uh, it, it's difficult. It, it's very difficult at this stage to, to look at any four teams and think, okay, that is your top four because, you know, one result, you know, a positive result against Fulham changes everything. It does, and we're due one. Uh, we're due a positive result. We have. It's been a long time since we've we've beaten Fulham. Obviously, there's been a couple of seasons we've been in different divisions as well, um, but they've given us a, quite a few stuffings over the last few years. So we are due a good result uh, against Fulham. Um, hopefully, that two week break, as you say, would have settled the team, got some basically some form and some Mark, Mark Warburton to maybe look at what's gone wrong in the last few weeks. I know a lot of fans are hoping for the likes of Luke Omos now to step up. who has been, who was out injured for a long time, but he's something possibly we, we don't have at QPR, a, a, more of a classic box to box midfielder. And I think that's maybe what the team's missing now. Um, the, one of the real odd factors of QPR season is the strikers where, you know, in three very decent champion strikers in Charlie Austin, Lyndon Dykes and Andre Gray, none of them of which have really, had a prolonged spell of of scoring goals. It's it's probably what we've missed the most. Goals have come from all over the pitch, but if we had a, one of those who'd really find a purple patch, that would be really handy um, before the end of the season. But it's a tough run in, but I, you just don't know in this championship, as I keep saying. It's it's You, you could turn up, we've got Preston away and Huddersfield away. Their two games on paper look very difficult, but we've got quite a good record at, at Preston and you wonder if Huddersfield will be, can, can keep up their momentum. So, It'll be an interesting last few weeks of the season. And pressing you for an answer now, Ash. <laughs> Got feeling are QPR going to secure a, a top six spot? I, I to be honest, it's a heart and head situation, Bill. To be honest with you, I I don't. If I'm all honest with myself, I think we may have missed the boat. I think the run of games we've recently had is where we were looking to pick up points. The running is is hard. It's difficult. We're obviously without a very 
key couple of players in the team going into the final few weeks of the season. I think the Fulham game could be pivotal if we get a result against Fulham with them being our neighbours, with them being top of the league, it could galvanise the team into the last few weeks of the season. That is definitely a possibility, but I have a feeling we may just miss out this occasion and then the summer will be, will be, and we'll see what will happen next season. And it would make sense in this championship season, wouldn't it, to, to go out and lose to Peterborough and then go to go and beat Fulham. It's just one well, of those seasons I'm where... quite happy if um, we don't have to play Peterborough next season because they've beaten us three times in this campaign, <laughs> both home and away and knocked us out of the FA Cup, which, um, yeah, so I think Peterborough would love to stay in the league just so they can play QPR next season as well because it's been one of those... Again, it's the championship. We It's... It's how we've lost to, especially the first game where we were far better, the better team. But you can't rest on your laurels in uh, in the championship. Yeah, I think your situation with Peterborough is, is how we feel about when we play you. I think you can draw a lot of parallels yeah, there. Yeah, we've, we've seemed to have the Indian sign over you a bit at the moment. I think the first, the home game early in the season was when we were in that run of, of just churning out results. And it looked like even if we didn't play particularly well, somehow we would find a way and we did. Uh, a Loftus Road. Um, the return game was, yeah, that's one of those games I think as Luton fans, you you on the way back, you must be wondering how you didn't pick up any points because for long periods of the game, we weren't in it at all um, until the penalty, which you kindly gave us. I think that kind of helped us in the long run. But I'm, I'm, even then, at 1-1, I was thinking we'd, take, we'd definitely take this and Luton would be disappointed. But yeah, that's that's what happens. And I'm, I'm, I do think that, that there's this kind of little bugbear with the manager at Luton that doesn't like him a little bit, having seen some of the comments he's made. But he may well end up above us and, and get the last laugh anyway. Yeah, I was going to say, well, good luck for the rest of the season, apart from if you come to Kenwood Road in the semi-final playoffs. <laughs> same to you guys, yeah, same to you. Myself and Billy are joined by Tom of the Borough Breakdown podcast. Tom, thanks for joining us. How are you doing? Yeah, not so bad, guys. Thanks for having me on. How are you guys doing? Yeah, good. Cheers, mate. Thank, thank you very much. Um, let's get straight. Let's get straight into it. Let's let's start by going back to last August. Uh, you were coming into the season on the back of a respectable tenth place finish. You were in a battle to stay up the season before uh, alongside us, and and your recruitment last summer was was pretty good. Um, Matt Crooks in particular is a player that that, that I rate highly. Um, and you were led by Neil Warnock, and we all know the sort of reputation that that Neil has. What were the general expectations of, of the Borough fan base coming into this season? I think the general expectations were playoffs or promotion to at least be challenging within the top six. Um, I think we all know the type of manager that Warnock is and the the history he's had with clubs where, you know, the first season will kind of be like saving them and rebuilding and the second season, once once he's been able to make his signings, uh, it's generally promotion. So we, we were hoping it was going to be something like what he did at Cardiff, um, and and obviously he's had, he had ten games in that pandemic season, then a full season where he wasn't able to like fully restructure. Uh, still some big earners on the wage bill. Got them off the wage bill, fully restructured in the summer. It was his team, uh, and it, it just didn't work out how, how we thought it was going to. Yeah, and as you say, unfortunately for Neil, it didn't work out. Um, and although his last game wasn't the 3-1 loss at Luton, it probably was a big push for him towards the exit. Um, you were 14th after that game and, and quite clearly a way off that expectation. Um, but lucky for you, man, you managed to replace Neil Warner with a Chris Wilder, who's had a lot of success throughout the year, fell 
obviously in the Hampton Oxford and most recently at Sheffield United before he before he left them. Um, probably in my opinion, a bit biased, but I'd say joint with Nathan Jones in terms of the best managers in that that batch of sort of seven clubs in, in the playoff push, and something that can ultimately be a big big factor in deciding who who goes up through the playoffs. And it was definitely a point in Wilder was definitely a moment that changed your fortunes this season. What what would you say are the key things he's done to, to turn things around? Um, I mean, it's just he's he's completely implemented a new style of play uh, and done it in in such a, a short space of time. Our feeling on the podcast was that when we were playing under Warnock at the start of the season, the the players were much better than the football they were being taught to play, uh, much better technically. And I think Chris Wilder's seen that. He came in just as there was an international break, so we got a good two weeks to work with the players. Uh, and then we had a couple of games against Millwall and Preston, which we got we got a draw and a loss from. And we think, you know, even though um, we got the draw and the loss, Millwall was a tough game. Preston, we arguably should have won. And you could see the the, the change in, um, in in game plan, change in style in those two games. And then we just went on a, a hell of a run after that. Um, but what that's done is has just got got the fans all completely back on side um there's, there's kind of more of a more of a link between the fans and the club than there has been for a for a long time we've had uh you know some some bad years before before that obviously Warnock picked it up a little bit but then there was uh Woodgate, Pulis, Gary Monk and it, it it always felt a bit kind of disconnected we've not really had um that link between the fans and club since uh since Karanka and the the playoff and promotion seasons that we had um, so that that's definitely helped as well. I, I think that's shown with our FA Cup run. Uh, you know, taking ten thousand fans to Man United and uh, you know selling out the Riverside against Spurs and, and and Chelsea as well. You can see the kind of feel good factor coming back now. Yeah, and there are definitely results that can get the fans back on side, aren't they? With a, a win at Old Trafford and, and and beating Spurs for sure. And really, just to bring you in here from a Luton view, it was a, a win each this season. Uh, obviously, we beat them at the Kenya 3-1 and I thought it was a great performance from us, um, albeit can't really look into that Baba side too much given they've now changed managers um, and we, we obviously lost lost at their place. And What have you made it, uh, of this Baba side in the two games that we've played against them? Uh, I've been, I was impressed in, in both displays. I mean, we, we did run out as 3-1 winners and you know, it was an excellent night at the Kenny. The, the, the three goals in five minutes, there was definitely a lot of excitement around the ground for, from our perspective. But up until half-time, I don't think there was, uh, I don't think there's a case for us to say that we were the better side. I think um, as soon as we came out, of course, Jones probably went ballistic at them. And um, something that, that we've seen a few times, we come out in the second half and we we start with a little bit of a scoring spree. But ultimately, I think, the biggest change, and I think that, that that's what Tom alludes to here, is sort of the mindset both around the, the club and around the fans as well. You, I think you can tell by listening to Middlesbrough fans that they've that they're a lot more confident in their team, and they're a lot more, you know, I don't want to say passionate because of course you're always going to be a passionate about your club, but there's a lot uh, there's a better feeling around the club, and I, I think that's something that we could see translate into the second game. Um, wasn't I don't, I don't think it was Borough's most scintillating display in, in, since Wilder's ta- taken over, but it was a really professional job that they'd done on us. And, you know, they did deserve the three points and took their goals well. And I, I think that sort of typifies, I think the second goal from Watmore sort of typifies everything that, that Borough's about at the moment. 
if you're not starting up front then you're coming on and you're making a difference and you know the rotation of those those four forwards that they've got is something that I'm sure is going to bode well um as the season progresses because if you think with, with with Luton at the moment you don't really have too much rotation if Elijah Adebayo is out you've got Cameron Jerome if Cornick's out then you do have someone like Fred to come in but to have four very very good strikers at this level I think that's something that really bodes well for for Boa. Yeah and it seems a bit like Barnsley last season where on on 60 minutes Ishmael just just changed that front three and and that they had that re- refreshed forward line for the last half hour of the game and, and that's that's the way it seems seems for me. Um Tom, looking at Bowers one in then, you've got nine games left, so you've got a game in hand on all Bar Forest. In terms of average position, if we look at obviously it's not a stat that you can read too much into. It, it's a mid sort of a, an average one in. Um, I think it's rated the third easiest um, out of the seven sides. Um, out of the last nine, you've got five at home, four away, which helps as your home form's definitely a lot better than than your away form. Um, but what, what I think personally, what I think goes in your favour is that out, out of the nine games left, you've only got two against sides fighting for, for, for promotion. Well, three if, but I've not deemed Fulham as fighting for promotion because they're they're pretty much there now. Um, and you've got one against Peterborough, who are obviously fighting for their lives. But the other the other six or or five, if you discount Fulham, are probably deemed as on the beat. So we've not much to play for. So how are you feeling? Obviously, that being said, looking forward to those nine games. Um, feeling fairly confident about it. Um, one thing I will say is after that loss against Chelsea in the FA Cup, it was definitely a bit of a relief that we had an international break um, because you could see the players kind of running out of steam, I think, uh, not just in the Chelsea game, but in the uh, the game we had before that as well. Um, you know, we, we had, uh, what was it, Birmingham, Millwall and Sheffield United before that, uh, all, all the way in Sheffield United was our worst performance of the season and then, uh, we we came back a little bit against uh, Millwall and then got the win against Birmingham. So the international breaks probably come at the right time for us. And then going into that running, the five games at home, probably more confident about them than than anything else. Um, you know, playing whoever it is is at home, confident we can beat them, whether that's Fulham, whether that's Huddersfield, um, just because we do look that good at home. The away games are a little bit more of a problem. Um, we seem to always get Bournemouth away in April and it tends to always kind of like derail what's going on. So not looking forward to that at all. I mean, the the home game was tense enough to watch. Um, I can't remember who the other away games are against Peterborough, Preston and Swansea, I think. Um, all, all winnable, but our away form has left a lot to be desired recently. So... You know, be happy with draws from from those. Um, you know, hopefully a win against Peterborough, but like you say, they are fighting for the lives at the moment, and uh, ho- hopefully the home form can uh, then can carry us through a little bit. Yeah, and and on the squad itself, you mentioned that they looked a bit a bit shattered after the Chelsea game, but in terms of injuries, anything of note injury wise, and any players specifically you would say in or out of form. Um, injury wise, we had a, a couple in the, the in the Chelsea game. Uh, McNair and Fry both went off, both vital players for us, but it didn't seem like either injury was kind of really serious. It did seem more like they're not going to be risked for the second half there. Um, in, in terms of other injuries, though, it, it's just our midfield, really. Um, and we're hoping they're back for the Peterborough game, or at least one of them is Riley McGree, who we signed from uh, Birmingham. and 
has looked really positive in the in the times we've seen him play. And then he picked up what we thought was only a minor injury. Um, and it actually kept him out up until the international break. So uh, we, we think he's back for Peterborough and that'll definitely be a help because we've just had not been able to rotate in the midfield at all. Um, and Martin Piero could be back before the end of the season. And, and, and that would be, be good to kind of have as well because in terms of depth in the midfield, we, we just don't have it at the moment while they're, they're injured. And Tom, quick question about the, you know, the prospect of playing Premier League football uh, next year, dare I say it. But, you know, the, the FA Cup run, um, surely that, that's given inspiration and, and provided you with hope that if you do get to the top flight, then, you know, you, you won't only be competitive, but you can be competitive against top six sides. Yeah, I mean, that, that's definitely the hope. I mean, we, we know what, well, we all saw what Wilder did with Sheffield United and, you know, their first season in the Premier League. Um, the FA Cup games, um, you know, to go away. And, you know, if we're looking at that like a league game, a point away at Man United and then, you know, beating Spurs at home and, and making them look fa- fairly ordinary as well. Um, and then Chelsea, I, I wouldn't say we were even kind of like really blown away. Um, we did play some good stuff at times. It's just the quality of them really shone through that day. They, they were very impressive. Um, and and you know, going into the Premier League, you'd you'd expect that there'd be investment, um, and more players would would be brought in with obviously all the the TV money that you get. So yeah, you, you you'd hope that uh, you, you would be competitive um, if we went up, but. Um, it, it definitely was optimist, uh, cause for optimism in the uh, in the FA Cup run. And, and Tom, just lastly, just for, for a bit of fun, uh, if you were to pick your four sides to make the playoffs, but you can't choose the borough, who would you go for? Um, Forest, Sheffield United, Luton, and Huddersfield. Brilliant. I'll take that, uh, especially with Lou in, in those four. That's great. Tom, <laughs> again, thank you for joining us. No problem. Cheers for having me. And now we're joined by Toby Wilding, Blackburn Rovers fan and reporter at Football League World. Toby, how are you getting on today? Yeah, good. Thanks. Uh, looking forward to getting back to the uh, business end of the championship season after the international break now. And uh, yeah, hopefully uh, a few good results uh, for Rovers to finally enjoy in the next few weeks. As you say, yeah, Rovers will be hoping to to put some um, positive results together and string them together as, you know, it comes to the crunch end of the season, as are, you know, eight teams in this division. It's a really exciting playoff battle at the moment. Going into the international break, though, Rovers scored three, uh, three in three games, sorry, out of a possible 13 with goal scoring seemingly becoming an issue. But from what I saw, performance levels were seem to be quite high what what do you sort of put that down to and do you think that's something that could be corrected by this international break yeah i mean obviously it gives them a bit of a bit of chance to um to sort of work on what's been going wrong in terms of goals um and since the turn of the year because i mean it's worth noting that the first half of the season uh, goals were flowing pretty regularly for Rovers, as as you would expect of a, a sort of team in their position in the championship as things stand. Um, but that that certainly hasn't been the case since um, since the turn of the year. I think it's only um, six goals in thirteen uh, in the league in that time, and obviously three of those were in one half. 
um, and a win over Derby. So, yeah, it, it has developed into something of an issue. I, I don't think the um, the absence of Ben Brereton Diaz, obviously Rovers' top school, scorer of, of 20, has helped in the past sort of six, seven games now that he's been out. So, you know, that, that one man who had been there really um, applying the clinical finishes to the chances more than anyone else for Rovers uh, this season. The fact that he's not been there has obviously had a major impact on that. And, you know, I think Rovers will certainly be hopeful that, you know, he, he's returned from injury after the international break, providing um, he doesn't pick anything up um, sort of on international duty with Chile uh, overnight. Um, we'll give them a huge chance. And I think as well, the um, return of, of, of Bradley Dack, he, he's another, obviously, who can make a massive impact in front of goal. He, he's got that poacher's instinct um, that, that means he will be finishing off chances you would expect once he gets back to full sharpness, but that perhaps other players haven't been doing in, in the past few weeks. But also, and we saw this with his assist for one of those goals at Derby, he's got that creativity as well to, to sort of make those openings that other players simply um, have to finish off. So I think providing those two come through the next sort of um, few days and then few weeks unscathed, um, there will be an expectation at Rovers that goals will start to come again. And I think it's fair to say Tony Mowbray, um, he's, there's conflicted opinions about him within the Rovers fan base. I think they're more lean towards, you know, that he is doing a good job with, with everything that's, that's gone on this season. Injuries have, have been a, a key thing throughout the, the course of the campaign, it would seem. So what's your general assessment on to, Tony Mowbray, what he's done this season, what he continues to do and, and a little bit about the project that he's built. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one, really. I mean, he's at, he's out of contracts at the end of the season, so that so that is an, another spanner in the works. I think ultimately, um, whatever happens, Mowbray does have have to take a lot of credit for sort of what he's done with the club, considering where they were when he first came in. You know, they they, they were staring down the barrel and and did eventually get relegated to League One just a, a few months after his appointment. Um, but then obviously stuck with the club, took them back um, into the championship at the first time of asking and that that league one season really did so even though it was at a lower level it, it did sort of lift the mood again you know becoming a club that got used to winning a bit more which hadn't been the case for some time before Mowbray had really taken over so that was certainly important and he played a big part in that and I think as well he, he's done well in terms of Rovers have never really looked like dropping back out of the championship under him but I think I think the concern and the question is he, he's sort of missed a lot of opportunities um you know where Rovers have got themselves in some really good positions under him and then sort of fallen away as as we've sort of touched on in in the past sort of few weeks you know with with this two wins in 11 that, that they're on at the minute that's nothing new in the championship under him you know the these sorts of collapses for want of a better word have sort of occurred regularly um so since they returned to the second tier under Mowbray and I think that does mean that the, the as, as I say there's been some opportunities that really haven't been taken and given you know they might the, the chances of them getting in these sorts of positions that they're in now uh, again in the future could potentially be really slim when you sort of look at the, the calibre of players that they could be losing in the summer to uh, uh, with contracts expiring all that inevitable interest that's going to come in say Everett and Diaz so you know I you do wonder whether if, again, he, this is another opportunity that he can't get over the line and with his contract expiring and that potential for 
sort of almost a bit of a squad overall with another load of players leaving who will need to be replaced, whether that could actually mean this presents itself as a potential moment for a change in the Ewood Park dugout if he can't get this over the line. Because, I mean, if he does sort of turn things around in the next few weeks and get that gets the club to the Premier League, there's no question he will deserve a chance to show what he can do in the top flight again. And casting your eyes over what remains of this season, seven massive cup finals, you know, three of those games are Ewood Park. Ewood Park has been, you know, much more of a fortress than, than when you've been going away. So do you think that will play a part? And the, the fact that, you know, for the seven teams that you've got left to play, uh, uh, what we tend to call on the beach teams, teams that don't really have too much to play for. Do you think that kind of notion will bode well for Rovers heading into this run? Yeah, it can do. As you say, home form has been massive. I mean, we've been touching on this issue of goals, haven't we? And it's no goals in the last seven away league games for Blackburn. So that that shows you just how important um, getting things right at home is going to be. Uh, and as you say, you, you you look at some of those fixtures, um, it's probably a mixed bag, you know, there's got commentary at the weekend there, so, so not entirely out of the out of the playoff running uh, for me at the minute, I don't think, um, although it would, would, would take a, probably a big ask for them, you know, you, you've got sides like, like Blackpool and Stoke, Preston, who maybe don't have much to play for at, at the minute, so, and, and then obviously, I say Peterborough, the uh, ones that you know that 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 sort of game away from home is one that Rovers will surely be targeting, and Bournemouth on the penultimate day of the season. That that's a really interesting one. That could all depend on what what Bournemouth have done by that stage of the campaign. You know, if if they are still um, sort of being put under pressure by those sides um, in the playoffs for the automatic promotion places, then there'll be a lot of expectation and a lot of pressure on them to get three points there. But if by that point they have seen out. Um, automatic promotion then as you say there are another side who could very much be in that sort of on the beach uh, on the beach celebration mode so there's there's still a lot of variables but you know you you, you do look at those fixtures as I say the likes of Peterborough Stoke who've really sort of stumbled recently uh, Birmingham um, on the final day you just haven't got going again this season there's definitely games in there that Rovers will look at and think that there are the chances here that we need to get the wins that can get them get us into the top six. And I was just reading your predictions, the, the four teams excluding Rovers that you would put into the, the, the playoff mix. And you've gone for Forest, Luton, Sheffield United and Millwall. So I guess that the key question that I'll have to come to you now is, would you now put Blackburn back in there. Do you feel that, that Blackburn have what it takes to get back into uh, the sort of, not back into, but but to secure their, their spot in the playoff spot? To be honest, uh, I'm going to have to say no, because I, I, I gave you them predictions based on sort of a, a, a table calculator I did last night um, in terms of, you know, I added my predictions for the, every all the games that are left left to play this season. And, and, and that is what I, I came up with. Uh, based on that, so I guess in in that sense, I'd have to say that no, no, I don't. But I think uh, so. In in terms of the the teams that are in there, I mean, Nottingham Forest and to a certain extent, Sheffield United are just in excellent form at the minute. You know, with the momentum and that they've got at the minute, I, I, it feels hard for me to look beyond them too. Luton um, again, re- really sort of strong at me. I think the fact the fact that uh, the games. They've got left, you know, home home form at Kenilworth Road has been massive for the Hatters, and the fact that they've still got a decent 
number of games left at their own ground um, will be vital for them. And I think that could be what gets them into the top six. And then Millwall, I was actually, to be honest, uh, quite surprised that w- when I came to the end of uh, those 46 games worth of predictions, they, they were in there. I didn't think they would have been. But, you know, look, looking back at their fixtures, they are a team who, on paper at least, do seem to have a number of winnable games. So I guess that that's why they got in there when you look at, you know, some of the others that are in this sort of mix, Rovers, as we've touched on, not in great form at the minute. QPR, very similar at the minute. Just despite the recent um, Luton win, that 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 feels, um, you know, may, maybe to have been a bit of a, a one-off. Looking at sort of other results around it, and again, Middlesbrough, it's just, they 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 just consistency isn't quite there at the minute, and also they do have a fair few uh, sort of tricky encounters to come. I think. So yeah, that that that's why I ended up with those four teams uh, for the playoff places with Fulham and Bournemouth obviously up automatically. Certainly going to be an exciting ride, and you know if if Blackburn do face Luton in in the playoff semi finals, then I think we can both come to expect a a very very competitive tie. Um, given the two fixtures this season, two will draw courtesy of a. Luke Berry's brilliance in the end and a, a nil-nil draw in January. So I think if they were to come up against each other, it, it would be two very good matches, two very competitive matches. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they're both uh, sort of really tight games uh, come the end. Um, that that one at Ewood Park certainly a, a, a game of two halves, if you will. Rovers uh, going 2-0 up uh, by, by the break and then Luton, really, for me, they, they took advantage of Rovers just, just sitting back at that point and and letting them come on. And I think the, the way that Luton were playing and, and the approach that Rovers were taking, there was only going to be one result and that was Luton getting back into the game and getting something out of it. But, I mean, if you sort of look, look at the sides that uh, are in this playoff mix, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Luton would be one that Rovers very much want to avoid at the uh, at the semi-final stage, considering they've got an absolutely shocking record at, at Kenilworth Road. I think it's still only uh, one league win that Rovers have ever taken over the Hatters at, at Kenilworth Road. So, you know, obviously it's so hard to work out, you know, who's going to be in the in the top six at the minute, let alone who's going to play who. But yeah, yeah, that, that would definitely be one that, you know, I, I don't think Rovers would be too pleased about giving, as I say, their, their history uh, when travelling to Luton. I do want to say good luck for the rest of the campaign. And given that you don't have to play Luton, I feel like I'm more inclined to, to say in it. But whether it's at Luton's detriment, it, it remains to be seen. But I, I will go for it. I will say good luck, Toby, and, and good luck to Blackburn for the rest of the campaign. And cheers for coming no up. No problem. Thank you. And good luck to, uh, to Luton as well. And now myself and Dylan are joined by Hal the Blade of Sheffield United Way. Hal, fa- fa- thanks for joining us. How are you doing? Ah, great to be here. Real pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me. No, you're welcome. So I, I, I just wanted to go back to the start of the season, really, to start with. And you appointed Slavisa Jukanovic in May, an appointment that was seen as a, as a pretty good one at the time, with experience of promotion before, obviously one of which from that club that we don't want to talk about, um, which combined with a squad that all I had struggled in, in the Premier League last season had done really well under Chris Wilder there in, in 1920. And it, it all meant that things were looking really positive for you guys going into the season. Uh, the Vickers had you priced at around third favourites and you thought, yeah, you had a good shot of, of going up. But Slavisa was sacked in November, having won six of his 19 championship games. So where do you think it all went wrong for him? 
Where did it go wrong? Yeah, you're right. I mean, on paper, it should have been the perfect appointment. And I think a lot of us were quite excited about it. Uh, we, myself, Nick, and I, who, who run Chef United Way, we had our own thoughts sort of behind the scenes of, of what we wanted to happen. And we were already uh, speaking with the owner uh, of the club before Slavisi Kanovic was appointed. And he was telling us about the various options for who the new manager was going to be. And I think we could probably say it now, but I've got to be slightly careful here. Maybe, maybe Slavisa wasn't the first choice. <laughs> and, um, and Nick and I had kind of, we'd prepared a lot of content for another coach, another manager. And we were pretty certain this other person was going to get it. And Slav got it. And um, we weren't surprised because the, the bookies were certainly given whispers of that. And he was, he was always in the running. So we had a lot of stuff ready. But I have to say, we, we, we weren't uh, universally sold on it. But we both decided, let's back him to the hill. If he's the guy that's got the gig, let's, let's really support him all the way through, no matter how bad the results are to start with, if they are bad. And they, and they were poor and the performances were poor. And he tried to make a, a new formation, square pegs, round holes, which just didn't work. You, you don't have any wingers at the club because Chris Wilder never played with wingers. And he insisted very early on dropping the back three and going with wingers and putting someone like Ben Osborne, who we signed as like a left wing back to play left wing. And he can, cause he's great and he'll give you everything, but he's not really going to knock a ball past a man and run, you know, do a trick. So we were seeing things that didn't really work. We had one right winger at the club, Oliver Burke, who he just didn't really fancy, didn't really play him. So would stick out like Morgan Gibbs white on the right or really man and die who are central attacking midfielders. So it didn't work. And we could tell it wasn't going to work. And he got until the 25th of November, my birthday. And then he was canned. We just won away at Reading, a game I, I went to. And I thought, this is a terrible game, but we've we've snuck a win. And we appointed uh, Paul Heckenbottom, who I was absolutely delighted with, who had been our previous caretaker manager, who I'd wanted from the start. And thankfully, I'm on record as saying that, because uh, it's easy to say it now. And then the <laughs> <laughs> the run has been magnificent. Of course, yeah. And we'll come on to Paul in a second. But I guess sitting here now, we're sort of the Sunday of the international break and you've got Chris Wilder's Middlesbrough are doing, doing really well. And do you think, obviously, it's all benefit of hindsight and all that, but is there a part of you that almost wished that he wasn't sacked in that Premier League season and he was given a, a fair crack of, of, of getting you up again? Well, he wasn't sacked. Simple as that. Um, he, he was begged to stay. Um, he, he resigned. He resigned, I think, it was about three times. And eventually, the board had to accept that resignation. They desperately didn't want him to leave. Um, they would have done anything to keep him. Absolutely no way sacked. I, I, can, I cannot stress that enough. Uh, we did not want to lose Chris Wilder because of you know, what he's doing now. We could all see that was going to happen. It was very much a blip on the, uh, on the Chris Wilder radar and on the CV. He's never had a relegation on his CV. And I guess this also won't be on there because he left before we were technically relegated. But uh, no, no one, no one wanted him to go. Really, it's very rare that you get a fan base that kind of see the bigger picture. And we were all like, "Yeah, this season's a disaster. No fans in the ground. That means everything for Sheffield United. Um, the virus, you know, the way that it, it affected everything was huge. The pandemic was dreadful for so many. And I think for our club, we had to recognise that there were bigger things going on. And if we could just ride this storm, Wilder would get us back. So. We're not surprised to see how well Middlesbrough are doing. 
Yeah, of course. So on on Paul, um, so he, he was appointed uh, obviously after Slavisa was sacked, and and he's done really well. Um, obviously at the time of the appointment, probably in the championship circle. I guess you disagree, given what what, what you said previously, but it raised a few eyebrows am- amongst sort of the the championship. Um, but like I said, he's done really well. He's uh, won eleven of the subsequent nineteen games, and have, uh, and have put the Blades in fifth, and probably in my eyes would say our favourites for those playoff places, given. Obviously, where you've come from and 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 your form. So, you you alluded to sort of the the, the switch of system that Slavisa tried to to to, to implement. And I'm and I'm guessing I was going to ask you ask you what Paul has done to turn it around. But I'm guessing maybe he's gone back to that back three and just putting those round pegs and round holes. You guessed correctly, sir. It's exactly what he's done. He's gone back to what got us promoted um, with a slight twist. You know, we were not always playing two up top. Wilder was very very two up top heavy no matter what man city away two up top you know if we go down at 10 men two up top we go down at nine men two up top that never changed under wilder and actually that was one of the things a few cited as a bit of a failure is that we didn't really have a plan b under chris wilder uh, heckingbottom tactically does seem very adaptable i think there's only one criticism we kind of have at the moment of him is his use of subs has been questionable even though Ben Davis was brought on against Blackburn as a sub and scored the winner. I don't think Paul brought him on for that reason um, because he's a centre back. But you know, it's so far we've seen it quite late. The changes also leaving players on when the game is either won or lost that we need, like Morgan Gibbs White or Billy Sharp, that we just can't afford to get injured. We have eleven senior first team players out. We've got a small squad. If we've got a fully fit squad under Paul Heckingbottom, I think we're challenging Fulham. With the injuries we've got, it is going to be some some minor miracle to keep this two points average, points per game going, which would get you in the playoffs, which would get a 77 points, which four out of the last five seasons gets you in the top six. And Dylan, just to bring you in here, in terms of, of a little perspective, it, I think it's fair to say that we're pleased that we don't have to play the Blades in the last eight games. Obviously, we've only got a point from the two this season, one at, one at the Kenny and lost at, at Bramwell Lane. And, for me, probably one of the sides that I would want to avoid if we made the playoffs. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. I think um, you know we've been so good in in twenty twenty two. But if there was any team that comfortably outplayed us, it was when we went to Bramall Lane. Um, obviously, the red card was a factor. But even before the red card, I thought Sheffield United were outstanding. Um, but as Hal just said, with with the number of injuries they've got, I think um, in their last game against Blackpool, their only fit outfield senior player on the bench was was Hurahan. Um, you know, that, that's a massive factor. And if you think about the playoffs, you know, it's all about game changes, as Nathan Jones always says, coming on and changing the game. And, you know, if you've only got one fit senior outfield player on the bench, that, that's, that's huge. Um, so, yeah, I think a fully fit Sheffield United squad, as NJ said after the game, you know, best squad in the league. Um, I, I agree with that, a best squad in the league. But right now, um, with the injury situation, then uh, that makes me a little bit more comfortable. Um, if we were if we were going to play them in the playoffs, and in terms of the running, I was just looking at it, um, and we've split sort of the one in in terms of three categories, and I've judged it as the second hardest out of the seven sides based on average position in the league at the minute, and I guess that is very variable given how how tight and compact various teams are in the league. Um, but out of those five of your last eight are at home, which obviously helps three away, and when split into our three 
categories, you've got free against size fighting for, for promotion, and strangely enough, QPRs twice. Mm. Um, one against sides for fighting for their lives in Reading, and four against side that we we deem are uh, as on the beach. So, how in terms of the running, how are you feeling for the last eight games? Really annoyed about having to face QPR twice. That's all down to the uh, COVID situation over Christmas and the EFL's interesting rules that they have since changed. QPR utilised that to maximum effect. Had we played QPR, but we should have played QPR. I'm very confident we'd have beaten QPR. I think QPR, that needs to stop saying, will have a far stronger side when we play them. And you know, to play a team twice in a month these days, it's ridiculous. It just never happens. The fixtures list is quite well planned. you know, And it will <laughs> remind me of the old days, actually, because I'm a million years older than both of you. So... That wasn't uncommon that sometimes you would sort of have the fixture list and then reverse it. <laughs> so you'd play a team and then play them again and go back through. Uh, it's going to feel a bit like that. And uh, I think QPR are going to be a really tough team. I think Stoke, Stoke away is going to be tough. That's our, our next game. Of course, we don't know if Billy Sharp's going to be back, you know, add another injury onto the pile. The club are keeping very quiet over what looked like a very bad hamstring injury. I mean, who's going to score the goals? So... The run-in, it doesn't actually, in my opinion, matter really who we play. It's all about the injuries. It's all about what Sheffield United can do. Who can we get back, as Blade say, uh, on the grass? Uh, let's let's wait and see. I mean, you know, uh, Jamie, particularly, you know, I like Luton. I like Luton as I have, you know, friends who support Luton, uh, friends who work with Luton. Uh, Luton are the team that I've tipped to make the playoffs. My nephew, whose birthday is on this day of recording, has tipped Luton to make the playoffs and win the final. Uh, it's his seventh birthday today. Uh, I've put a little money on for him, so it'll soften the blow if it's Luton that beat the Blades in the final. When I say soften the blow, I mean actually it won't won't soften the blow at all. I'd I'd rather just burn a ground and make sure we went up. We'll certainly take that. And if we make the final, we and we don't play Sheffield United, we'll get your nephew down for for a good luck charm. That's for sure. He'd love that. Actually, <laughs> he would absolutely. Love that. <laughs> And, and just on the, on the squad, lastly, obviously you're in, in a bit of an injury crisis at the minute. Um, so I assume, like us, you've been grateful for, 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 for that two-week break. Um, do you think that the squad will be in, in a decent shape? You're saying that, 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 that the club's kept quiet, but on the injuries that you're aware of, were, were they long-term injuries or sort of two, three, four-week? Well, because they've kept quiet, we don't know. I mean, Paul Heckerbottom has been very different to previous managers who do press conferences and kind of give you an inkling. He really doesn't tell us anything. And then suddenly a player will be out. Rian Brewster's injury you know, wasn't supposed to be that bad. He jumps over the advertising hoardings after getting hurt, out for the season. You know, Jaden Bogle, we might see him back in a few weeks, out for the season. David McGoldrick, oh, you know, let's, let's, uh, let's see him in training, see if he's okay, out for the season. Chris Basham, we're not, we're not hearing if he's, he's meant to be back after the international break. We don't know. And also, we've got players who are playing internationals during the break who we've heard are going to get one day of training before that Stoke game, uh, you know, key players like I'll just say Sander because everyone says his surname differently, and no one, <laughs> no one in Sheffield United land likes the way I say his surname because it's the correct way. Um, do you know what I'll say? I'll say his, his name is Zander Berge, but <laughs> people just call him Sander Berger. Um, we've got you know other players that are, John Egan just you know played the full game for Republic of Ireland. Uh, big players who are playing and not getting that rest it's all down to injuries and the international break is normally something I hate we did you're right we did need it but I just wish 
our international players weren't playing in some pretty meaningless friendlies. And, and now, just a bit of fun, pick, pick your four sides to make the playoffs in order, but you cannot pick your own side. Right, great. Okay, thanks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, right, well, let's let's replace the Blades then with Luton because I have, as you know, I mean, I'll just say it. One of my best friends is Kingsley Black, who uh, came to my wedding and known for eons and we talk all the time and he he tells me everything that's going on with Luton because he's a bit of a Luton ledge and he's been telling me what's been happening with Luton and talking about the the trajectory for years I actually went to watch um, my second team York against Luton and um, they're not friends Uh, and that was a (laughs) that was a pretty interesting experience um, but but Kingsley's kept me as kind of keeping Luton as like a, a well, I'm not going to say a third team. It sounds ridiculous, um, but a team that I've kept an eye on, and and Jay as well, who kind of is, is a blade who works at Luton, who is part of the sort of analytics and recruitment department. He's someone I talk to as well, and and I love the way that Luton have recruited. It's so clever. It's so savvy. It's the exact opposite of the way Sheffield United do business. We'll just throw as much money as we can at a, a player who's good on football manager. But Luton do it, I think, really, really sensibly. So I'm going with Luton. Uh, let's also say that uh, Chris Wilder's Middlesbrough, you know, I, I really have to say that. Uh, I think that, uh, that Fulham and Bournemouth will say get top two. I think Huddersfield, despite earlier on in the season, I didn't think they'd last the pace. And if I can't pick the Blades... I might just say a, a slight outsider at, at the moment, but I think Blackburn are falling. Let's go with Nottingham Forest. That's great. Again, how thanks for joining us and best of luck for the rest of the season. Thank you. Now I'm joined by Alfie Burns, Football League World reporter who has covered Huddersfield Town a fair few times this season. Alfie, you've seen a lot of the Terriers. What have you made of them from a, from a general sense and, and looking at this season so far? Yeah, it's been a, a real improvement on what we saw in 2020-21 from Carlos Corbin's side when they were, of course, battling relegation in the Championship. I think if you asked any supporter what their ambitions were for, you know, for this season and, and heading into the campaign, they'd have said just staying up, mid-table, survival, comfortable season would have been great. So I think to be flirting with the playoffs and, and the potential promotion to the Premier League's a, a dream come true for a lot of fans. You know, they've had the, the long eighteen game unbeaten run as well. Slap bang in the middle of the season, which has been a real high. It was it was really good to cover Huddersfield over that. It just it seemed like every every time they, they turned up in if they went behind in a game that they found a way to, to either win or, or take a point from a game. So there's some exciting games in there. Club just you know breeding confidence and, and going to places like Burnley even in the FA Cup and coming from behind to win. So it's been a really really good season for Huddersfield. You know one that was wasn't really on the cards when when you looked at the business that they did pre season and in the transfer window heading into the season, uh, especially again when you look back on on how they played last season. So yeah, it's it's been a good season. You know just hopefully for for the club that they can have a a positive end to it and and not just tail away. In the in the playoff race, as as the last couple of results have suggested, yeah, it's a good point you make that you know um, that there is potential to tail off. We've seen lots of clubs already who have occupied that that third spot 
you know, drop from that that position, drop from that strong position as we as we've seen. Um, I think Blackburn and QPR are examples of that. Obviously, this this international break provides a, a fresh start to it all. But going back to to the very start of of this season, um, I think you could draw a fair few parallels to Luton. Of course, I think Nathan Jones and, and Carlos Corbran are two managers that will be, reg- well, regardless of what happens in the remainder of the season, two managers that will be looked looked upon to have done a very very good job up there with the manager of the season candidates I think looking at the business both teams have done you wouldn't have really expected either side to be you know occupying a top six spot and I think looking at you know the, the way that both teams operate off the ball you know that there are a lot of parallels there's a lot of similarities that, that you can draw between the two yeah definitely in, in terms of, of where they are I think the one big thing that they've got in common is is that they're both sort of underdogs in this in this playoff race, you know, the sides that they've got, you know, they're not fancied against the likes of Forest, uh, Middlesbrough, Sheffield United, you know, big clubs with with big name managers and, and that kind of thing. But again, I, I kind of feel that there's that there's probably quite a few differences. I, I think that from an outsider looking in at Luton, you know, Nathan Jones is 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 somebody that gets the club and, and whenever he's there it just it just seems to work. And I think I've said to you previously, Billy, that I'd have liked to have seen where Luton were if, if Jones hadn't have jumped ship and gone to Stoke. I think that he's um, he's a really good manager and, and he just seems to to get it at Luton and, and be able to get the best out of them and, and make them so competitive. I think one thing that you've got to say with with Corbin and and the remarkable job that he's done is the pressure that he was under coming into this season. I seem to remember second weekend of the season, you know, Huddersfield were, were licked five one by Fulham at the John Smith Stadium and it was a real sort of sour atmosphere there and, and it looked for me after what had happened last season and the way Huddersfield has, had collapsed that Coburn might be you know fighting for his job but he's turned it around remarkably well he's had the support of the board and and, and he's managed to win the fans back over but you know there's there's definitely some similarities and I think that you're right with with the work that both teams you know do out of possession I think that one thing about Huddersfield is that they're almost as good to watch off the ball as they are in possession and, and, and at times, you know, I've, I've, I've sort of thought that about Luton as well. But, you know, I think I think as well with, with both managers, they're at different stages of their career. I think there's a 10-year age gap, which is which is quite a, you know, substantial gap in, in terms of management. You know, Jones has, has proved, you know, that he knows what it takes to get the best out of Luton. And I feel that Corbyn's a, a head coach in the championship that's still finding his way. You know, this is only his... Sort of second year at championship level, he's he's worked under Marcelo Bielsa's coaching umbrella at Leeds, and he's taken a lot of you know ideas from Bielsa. But you know he's had to tweak them and, and become his own man, and I still think he's becoming his own man. Whereas somebody like Jones, I feel like Jones knows exactly what he wants to do with his sides, and and you know Lewin know exactly what they're going to get out of him, which is why it's why it's such a good fit. But yeah, definite parallels between the two, and you know the ambitions of this season for. Both clubs of, of just wanting to be solid in the championship, but but pushing on and being underdogs in this really exciting playoff race. And we we spoke a little bit about it off air, but we, we spoke about the manager of the month curse. It is something that's been quite well documented in the championship and wider EFL before. And you know we we've seen performance levels slightly dip in the last two games, resulting in two losses. Do you think the international break has, has been quite timely for Huddersfield and a perfect opportunity to, you know, get back 
to to win in ways when they when they get back um, in early April or Saturday now. It's uh, yeah. flying round. Yeah, he's, he's definitely come yeah. at a good time for Huddersfield. I think you know the eighteen game unbeaten run came to an end at, at Forest in the FA Cup, and and I think I wrote on on the website around that time was what Huddersfield needed to make sure that one defeat didn't become two and two defeats didn't become three, you know, and of the last four fixtures, they've lost three of them. So that has played out. So the international breaks definitely come at a good time, a chance to just sort of regroup, you know, things haven't gone their way. They've lost to Forest in the cup. They've thrown away a two goal lead at West Brom and then they've lost to Millwall and Bournemouth. You know, there's no real shame in losing to either of those sides, you know, Bournemouth looking on course for automatic promotion and, and Millwall are, of course, a, a side that are in with a shout of, of the playoffs and probably the dark horses at this stage to crash into the top six. But the breaks definitely come at a good time for Huddersfield. I think when you've been on such a high of the journey of, of sort of 18 games unbeaten to come crashing back down to earth with three defeats in four across all competitions, you need to just take a step back from it and, and have some time off and, and do some work on the training field. And, and, and that's definitely come at a good time, I think, for Huddersfield. And looking at the running, seven games left, four at home. I think John Smith Stadium has, has been much more of a fortress than than they, the results have suggested away from home. And just looking at some of the games they still have to play, of course, it's Huddersfield-Luton on Monday the 11th. And then straight after, it's a home game against QPR, away to Middlesbrough, Barnsley at home within that. Yorkshire Derby is always going to be you know, it's always going to be feisty, and especially with Barnsley with their respective objectives too. Um, also Coventry away as well. So, you know, it, it's a tough enough fixture list, but they'll also be spirited that, you know, the, the rest of their championship playoff competing uh, teams are also find themselves in a similar situation where they do have to play a lot of other teams that are in and around them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I wrote in my match report after... Huddersfield had been beaten 3-0 by Bournemouth. Luckily for them, they're not going to play many sides that are that are better than Bournemouth, but there's still some really tough games there. I think, you know, the, the little burst that you've just mentioned there of Luton, QPR and Middlesbrough, I think that that's across the Easter weekend as well, those uh, QPR and Middlesbrough fixtures. I think that's going to be quite, you know, season-defining for Huddersfield, really. I think they've, they've got Hull coming up first and then those fixtures, so... Yeah, they they need to get back to winning ways in those fixtures, and and if you are going to qualify for the playoffs at this at this time of year, you need to be taking points off the teams, in and around you. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, going back to what I said right at the start, you know, it's it's games like this that that as a, you know, as a football club, you want to be involved in. You know, Huddersfield fans will will tell you that this this season's been a bonus really from what they expected. But having got here, they want to be playing these games and they want to be having, you know something riding on those games is pointless getting to this end of the season and just be drifting towards mid-table with, with meaningless fixtures. It's, it's never nice for, for a club to be going in that direction. So, you know, no, no matter what happens, I think it's, it's nice for Huddersfield to be having something to play for. And it's, it's a tough running, but it's an exciting running for the football club. Yeah, as you say, I don't think any club, any any club that are currently competing for a playoff spot have a particularly easy running. But, you know... I don't think it's, it's one on paper, it's one on momentum and yeah, it's going to be definitely very, very interesting to see how it pans out for all clubs involved. Finally, Alfie, I'll, I just want to come to you for, for your gut feeling, pressed for an answer. Will Huddersfield finish in the playoffs? Oh, well, we've, we've discussed this 
off air and, and about six weeks ago I made the prediction that they'd just about you know get themselves into sixth in the table and it's funny really because Luton were nowhere near the picture when I when I made that prediction so they weren't in 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 my top six I think my, my gut feeling with Huddersfield was always that when the long unbeaten run did come to an end that it would it would result in in two or three defeats and I think that you know how Huddersfield react in the next two or three games after the international break will definitely define their season if they can get back to winning ways and get back you know the confidence levels that they were showing in in that unbeaten run then they've got every chance of of finishing in the top six you know they are playing the likes of Luton, QPR, Middlesbrough before the end of the season and, and if they can pick up say six or seven points in those games and it's going to give them a great chance of, of getting into the playoffs. My gut feeling is is that they probably will miss out and fall away, but that is only because of, you know, the likes of Middlesbrough and Forest having the quality that they've got, you know, first of all, but but also the games in hand. I think that, that they are two really good sides that now the FA Cup's out of the way for both of them, that, that the league being their focus, you know, they're going to be making a real surge for the top six, you know, Luton again are in are in great form, and it just you know it just depends if they can avoid doing what Huddersfield have done and, and one defeat turning into two or three. But yeah, I think at, at, at this moment in time, my gut feeling is is that Huddersfield will will miss out. Some interesting stuff, Alfie. Thank you very much for joining. No worries. Thanks for having me on, brother. And now we're back with Billy, Dylan, Ian and myself. Billy, first of all, I'm not sure about you, but it was nice to speak to fans of clubs like your Forests and Blackburn, etc. as we're competing with, with them. Long gone are the days of competing with your Exams and your Cambridges for the conference title. Uh, I know we've spoken about it loads before, but it just goes to show the job that everyone at Luton Town are doing. Yeah, 100%. I think that the key thing that Nathan Jones always talks about is recruiting the right people. Um, you know, we, we've got a we've got a team. We've assembled a team with one of the lowest budgets in the in the division. But the, the key thing is that we just don't pick up any old player. We we pick up a player that's going to fit the mood around the squad. That's going to fit everything to do around Luton Town Football Club. And you know that's not lost in in you know in senior roles as well around the club. The non playing staff. It, it just seems to be one massive unit. And I don't think you. You see that unity in any other football club. I mean, that must that might be me just being a bit biased, but I'm sure there's not that unity elsewhere. Let's um sort of start with the looting perspective in terms of sort of looking back at the season so far, and and for me, it, it can clearly be split in, into two. With, with given the long break, the long break that we had over Christmas, um, on that first half, obviously there was a summer of. A summer of expectation, really, given the recruitment that we had. We had six players leaving us permanently, two on loan, eight eight joining us all on permanent contracts, and and all sort of in their own right were were sort of well received. But results wise, it it definitely showed a squad that was still trying to gel. We've, we had some great results like the five 0 against Coventry and the two 0 win away at Millwall, but also some really frustrating ones. And I think for me, it's the, the home games in particular, like your Birmingham, Stokes, and your Cardiff. So. Ian, how do you reflect on that first batch of 21 games? Um, well, better than expected, isn't it? Um, you know, obviously the, the change in the style of play where we've, you know, kind of relinquished possession and but then still played on the front foot. I think, you know, looking at um, his coach's voices interview the other day, it showed that he's he's got a deep plan that, you know, 
that's phased in certain ways. And obviously this is one of the steps of that. Um, I don't think I was expecting us to pick up as many results and be as resilient as we have been. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been absolutely fantastic to watch. And there's a, there's an air of confidence, I think, around the team in terms of, and, and between the fans, we kind of feel that there's that element of where we let in late goals that we had for so many years and that, um, you know, getting beat three or four nil um, every so often has kind of gone. Um, so it's enjoyable to watch from that perspective because you're not as on edge as much. But um, from the other side of it, you kind of then now we're looking behind us because we don't want to fall away. So um, you've added a little bit more pressure from that sense of it. But yeah, no, it's been good. Yeah, it certainly hasn't helped the bank balance. We're at a stage of the season now where you just don't want to miss a game, do you? You don't want to not be there at Peterborough or, or, or not. I mean, even now for me, you've got Huddersfield on a Monday night, but you don't want to miss it because it's it's a massive game. Yeah, I mean, I'm quite a, a superstitious person as well. So I do things in in a certain order every game. And if I, if I miss a game or I don't go to that game, I think that, oh, right, well, that's kind of put the uh, cat amongst the pigeons there. But um, yeah, you, you want to be there as much as possible. Um, but obviously, uh, yeah, yeah, you don't really want to be missing any games at this stage of the season. But um, it's going to be an exciting running, I think. Yeah, definitely. And, and Dylan, if, if we look back, back at the restart, we've just completely transformed into a top six side and and on merit in in the seventeen league games this year so far we we've won we've won eleven drawn twice and lost four times and if you actually removed each side's first twenty one games which was that first batch from the league table Luton Town would be sat sat top by a point well, what do you think has changed in between the first half of, of the season and the second half well, I think I think we got players fit which was massive I mean you saw in those opening games we had. You know, Naismith and Osho playing the centre half. Now, Osho is now a first team option, but at the time, at the start of the season, it was tough for him. Um, and we had all those injuries at the back, which, you know, didn't help. Um, but I think as well, it's it's just the, the squad and, and the staff have just been on a journey and, and they've grown and grown. And and as you play with, with, with each other, you things become more cohesive. Those new players really integrate into the squad, um, get used to the culture and, and the values of, of, of Luton Town and and that kind of environment that that Nathan Jones has created, and then I think as well it's just that belief and confidence and and you know I, I wrote a bit about it about Naismith's goal against Bournemouth and how massive that can be as a as a catalyst um, to set you on your way to to achieving great things and I think you need to have a lot more than just a catalyst to be successful. Um, you know you need to have strong foundations, but that moment where Naismith put it in bottom corner against Bournemouth. You know that that can provide a spark, and we've seen that in previous seasons. You know, against Wickham, when we beat them two-one away in the ninety-first and ninety-eighth minute. You know that when you look at our form after that, our form transformed. Um, so, so there are certain moments that provide that confidence and that real belief that we can go and achieve something. And, and I think that first game back after the restart, as you said, um, really set us on our way in terms of of where we are now, albeit with with really strong foundations that have been there throughout. Yeah, I think that's a good point to be fair on on that Naismith winner because obviously we, we all were absolutely ecstatic after that and we were on cloud nine for a good a good week or so and I think sometimes as fans we we actually underestimate the impact it has on the players especially a group of players that are so close and sort of on side like, like we have and that they must have felt absolutely ecstatic after that winner. Yeah, hundred percent and and when you have a moment like that it's it's so huge in terms of 
one, not just lifting confidence and, and making people feel good about themselves, but in terms of that unity uh, and creating that real strong feeling and, and just adding to that culture that, that is within that works at, at Luton Town. And, and it's so massive for that. It's not just about that short term confidence. Um, but again, it just moments like that. It's like the, the, the Luar Luar equalizer against Warsaw in League One. You know, moments like that are just important because they just bring people together and they inject that belief and they build the culture and and it can and it was a similar time as well that like the Wild equalizer wasn't it it was around christmas new year time which yeah. is the same as, as cal so um you know moments like that are important because they bring people together and, and they give people confidence and belief that they can actually go and achieve something you beat bournemouth at home in the last minute you can achieve anything because bournemouth are a fantastic team yeah for sure and and but it's just on on the squad itself and dylan alluded to getting players back fit at the start of that one in January, but in in recent weeks we've not quite been so fortunate. Um, big big injuries to Sonny, Jed Steer, Reese Burke, to name a few. And and actually, if you if you look at the squad in general, I think everyone at some point has been impacted by some sort of niggling injury. Um, and we've not really been able to keep a consistent side. And for the last two games in particular, I worked out we we only had a centre back on the pitch for a collective sixty one minutes. We had. Reese Burke before his injury uh, against Preston and then Lockyer in the second half for about 40 or so minutes. So it's pretty miraculous that we've got ourselves in, into third in the league. Yeah, defies belief, really. You, you look at what we've had to do in terms of playing James Bree, uh, Peter Kioso as this more central option, and then Dan Potts as, as a left centre-back. I don't think many other clubs would, you know, would see the success that we have seen if they would have had to dig so far into the depths of their squads and um, again that just shows the unity within the squad it shows that every player within the squad can play a part and you know you don't really get too disappointed when you see a team sheet at, at the moment even if you can't understand it because they're putting in performances like that and you know as you say we, we've been dealt some pretty difficult di- uh, injury blows throughout this season again you mentioned the start of the campaign and um, right through up until this point, I don't think we've had a fully fit squad all season. I know other teams that, um, as we've spoken about, some of our playoff chasing counterparts have, have also been hit pretty hard with injuries. But, you know, we're plugging away, we're getting through that. And it's the exciting prospect of having, you know, maybe not a fully fit squad, but having some players back available after this international break. It's, you know, all this confidence. I don't know where I've got it from because... You know, I'm a Luton fan. At the end of the day, I'm not. I'm not used to all this. <laughs> and actually, in in a weird way, to to go through such a a, a, a tough time of injuries would, would actually work in our favour, right? Because we didn't expect Dan Potts to get so many games in, in the past couple of weeks, and, and we we now know that heading into a, a really tough last eight games, and hopefully three more, or or not hopefully if we get second, but but likely three more. Um, that actually we do have every player that is sort of at their peak. That's exactly that. Um, you, you look at the players that you wouldn't really associate with playing too much football. You think of Danny Hilton, um, you know, he's a cult hero at this football club, but you wouldn't have expected to see him play too much this season. And probably to add to that, that the kind of role he's played is not just a come on and, and do a little bit of a shift. He's, you know, scored the winning goal against Derby. He's, he's done a, excellent job at Stoke and played a real big role in that victory so again it just shows it's not just the 11 that we put out it's the 
the 18 and even beyond that is the rest of the squad that continue to drive those competition levels. It's just really exciting to see because, as you say, if, if we do have a couple of players missing, you know, two players that, that do suffer any sort of injury, then you know that, that people were people within the squad are going to step up and do a job and you know it's, it's so exciting to see that and it, it really bodes well for us I think going into this playoff push you know we, we've got we've got a competitive squad um, not too many teams have the depth that we have and you know you look at some of the, the teams competing for a playoff spot at the moment looking at their starting 11 it does sometimes look a scary prospect but when you dig deeper and you look into the actual squads it's it's very exciting to see. Yeah, and Ian, we'll bring you, we'll bring you in here for, for the for the one in. So I'll, I'll just read out the games we've got left. So we, we've got Millwall, Forest, Blackburn, Reading at home, and we've got Peterborough, Huddersfield, Cardiff, and Fulham away. In terms of the one in, it seems a pretty middle of the road sort of one in. If if you look at sort of average positions and all that, um, we've got an even share. We've got four home, four away. But I think where it stands out for me in terms of difficulty, we've got. The, the least amount of sides in our run-in that I guess we can deem as on the beach compared to other sides. So I was looking at Forest out of their 10 have, have seven seven games against sides that don't have too much to play for, whereas we've only got three. Um, so do you, do you think that that's going to play too much into it in terms of the sides that, 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 that you play against? Uh, obviously, I think it's a, it's a tough start in it, the first four. Um, you look at Millwall's form, um, and then, you know, you look at Forest who are doing very well at the moment. Um, it's a difficult start. I, I just think, you know, it's a, it's a tentative time at the moment. And I think for all teams, there's going to be some ups and downs. I don't think if we lose on Saturday, that's, you know, it's a big thing. I think, you know, we can go on and win a different game. I think it'll throw up some shocks. I don't, I don't know how much form's going to come into it because everyone's carrying a few injuries. Sheffield United are. Obviously, we are. Um I think it might throw up some results that are a little bit of an anomaly. Um, but I think if we come out strong of this this next four games, um, we're in a very, very strong position. Um, and, you know, you never take that that eye off Bournemouth either. You know, if they, if they have a, a few bad results. Um, and at the end of the day, we're top of the farm league at the moment. Um, you know, so we've got the momentum carrying us through. Um, I think we've just got to take care of ourselves and, you know, not worry about... Who else we've got coming up? I think, and I think that's the the ethos that's running through the team at the moment. They're they're thinking the same, so hopefully that's how it is. And you know, we we take it by the scruff of the neck, and and we come out well at the end of it. Yeah, and you mentioned there, Ian. I, I, I guess I open the floor up. So our first four, you got Millwall at home, Peterborough away, Huddersfield away, and Forest at home. And obviously, three out of those four sides, you could say have a good shot of getting into the playoffs. Um, Peterborough away fighting for their lives and starting to show a bit of form. So, how many points do you think we'd need from those four to think? You know what? Okay, we're we sort of we can breathe here now. I think. I think. Yeah, I think you need to be looking around the six or seven point mark. I think. Um, I, I wouldn't say I'm entirely confident against Huddersfield, even though they've had a little bit of a dip at the moment. Um, I think Millwall, although it's a tough game, I think it's it's winnable. Um, and then Forest is the probably the most difficult one, um, but again, you just never know with Peterborough. You know they've they've come into a little bit of form. I think that they'll be they'll be well up for it, um, especially as we beat them three 0 at, at our place. So, I think six seven points is a good return from those those games. I think. 
Yeah, I, th- I think um, somewhere around six, seven, eight points uh, is probably probably where we want to be. And, and as you say, like you know, Peterborough, they uh, yeah, they haven't got results this year, but they've just beaten QPR and and they've got some real mavericks in that team. Um, people like Poku and and Giando Fuchs, who they signed in January, and Johnson Clark Harris can turn it on. So you know, they'll be they'll be dangerous. Marriott scored a screamer against QPR. Um, so it's it's going to be really tough, but I think yeah, I, I agree with Ian. Probably somewhere in the six to eight mark um, is where we we want to be, and we're probably being not as ambitious as as we should be because the form says we should be looking at ten to twelve points because that's how how we've been playing. But I think that 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 should just keep us where we want to be. Um, and we've bought ourselves a little bit of breathing space, um, but we've got every reason to think that we can win all four. To be honest, because that's just how we've been playing. Yeah, I can't disagree at all with that That six to eight points. But I think if you are going to pick up six, you want to go about it the one win and three draws way so that you're taking points off, you know, Huddersfield and you're taking points off um, Nottingham Forest, not in the way that you win two and then lose two against Huddersfield and, and Nottingham Forest. I think, um, yes, it's definitely going to be. I, I think Ian summed it up perfectly when he said that, you know, on paper, nothing's going to work out according to paper. It's, it's going to be a few anomalies that arise. And yeah, so if we do lose our next two games that, you know, perhaps more, well, definitely the Peterborough game looks more favourable than than the majority of our games coming up, then then I'm sure it's about the resilience and about how we react, which all season we've reacted very well to disappointing results. So yeah, I think that's another source of confidence coming into this this busy running. And in terms of the last two games, we've obviously got Fulham, who are by far and away the best side in the league away. But hopefully by then, it would likely be the case that the title flame is wrapped up. And then we got Reading at home, who again, by then, there's a chance that they could already be safe. So do you think going into those last two games, given context, that it might, might work in our favour? Like, could we go to, to Fulham and beat them? I think with Fulham, um, the di- difficulty is with them is that okay, they might, you know, have secured the title by them, but they've got such a such a deep squad with so much quality in there. They've got such a great academy as well. So there's, and I think Marco Silva as well. He's he's just that kind of serial winner that you know they might have wrapped they might have wrapped up the title, but you know that they're going to be gunning for, for more goals and more points. And you, you think of Mitrovic, you'll probably have an opportunity to break the, the second tier record. I think that was that stands at 42. Um, so, yeah, I think they are a relentless side and I just can't imagine them, you know, going to the beach and, and taking things easy. I think Silva's the kind of man that will make sure that he's preparing for next season straight away. And then you look at Redden, who could be fighting for their lives and still... Not entirely convinced by by Paul Lintz, but you know he's picked up some some good points so far, and um, yeah, they do have some good players within the squad. So it's uh, definitely going to be de- definitely going to be tight, and especially when it looks like Luton have one of the more favourable games at the last game of the season. Um, I don't like that at all. And obviously, this is a, a playoff preview pod, but do any of you think that second is out of reach? I think we need to keep an eye on it, and I think I think the messaging from from Nathan to the team is going to be that's our aim. And obviously, you know, if we fall short, then then fantastic. Um, at least we're still in the playoffs. Um, I honestly believe that 
that Bournemouth are going to slip up. Uh, I, I think there's that chance. Uh, I think we need, we need, we not we shouldn't be cancelling out. I don't think anyway. Uh, I think we should just still be going for it if we can carry on the form that we, we've been on and uh, Bournemouth carry on the form that they've been on. It's going to be very tight, very tight. Yeah, I think I think what Ian said there about him just pushing them, pushing them on, like. I think with with the way that the squad works is if you tell them let's finish second they they won't feel that pressure they'll take that as confidence um, and they'll they'll kind of breathe that and as Ian said like if we if we do fall short then we've done our job you know we finished in the playoffs which is incredible um, but yeah Nathan will be in there telling them let's finish second let's catch Bournemouth um, because that's the squad has that kind of mentality where it's just let's just go and it's us against the world and we're gonna. We're going to give everything to to achieve something that no one thought we could. Yeah, I'm thinking similar. Um, you, you look at Bournemouth's fixture schedule, and you know, bar this this game against Bristol City coming up, everyone looks difficult, and you can't you can't openly say that they they should pick up three points in pretty much any of their remaining fixtures after this Bristol City one. And you know, if they do stumble, if they do fall at the first hurdle against Bristol City. And it's not just us licking our, our lips, of course. It's so many teams in this playoff chasing pack that will just be thinking and applying that pressure on, on Bournemouth because, you know, they have had in, inconsistencies this season. They've had inconsistencies last season. It's, it's something that's not too uncommon with the Cherries. And Ian, we've, um, we've asked all of our special guests on today's pods to give us their four sides to make the playoffs. But with the added caveat that you cannot pick your own side, so... Let's remove Luton from the equation. Who would be your four sides to get the playoffs? Taking Luton out of there, I think I think one of my favourite teams for the playoffs are, are Forest. You know they're they're going really well. They look well. Um, I, I, if I was a betting man, I'd put my money on them being the first team to finish in the playoffs. And then uh, Borough, um, although that that they can be shaky at times, I think they're going to have enough to to get over the line. Um, same story with Sheffield United. Again, they've they've had a few blips recently, but I think they've got enough in the squad, even though it's slightly depleted at the moment, like us, um, to get over that line. Um, and then Huddersfield, you know, again, another team that's had a blip. Everyone seems to have have had a little bit of a blip, um, but I think again, I think one positive result they'll start that that train going again, and they'll start to pick up a few results. Um, maybe a few draws mixed in there. You know, I don't think they're going to run away with it, but I think they'll be in the mix as well. Um, Billy Dillon, I'll come to you, but I'll be less mean. You can choose Luton. Who would be your playoff for? It's hard. It's very, very difficult, but I will go. I'm, I'm thinking along the same lines of Ian there. I do think Forest will make good use of their games in hand. I think they might finish third. I'll go Luton fourth. Sheffield United fifth and Middlesbrough sixth. I'd probably go Sheffield United third if they get their players back fit. Um, I know Hecking Bottom's quite he keeps that he keeps his cards close close to his chest about that. But Sheffield United third, we're fourth, Huddersfield fifth, and then Borough getting the last spot. Um, I think is what we'll do. Um, although Bournemouth could finish third and we could finish second. <laughs> I love that little added bit at the end there, Billy. Um, just lastly, I just wanted to look more more in in detail at the Millwall game. Do a little brief preview, Dylan. For me, it's probably the biggest game out of the last eight. I think it, it was for me. It will set the scene. 
I think sometimes we come back from a two-week break and we, we might not be quite at it. And we're at home to a side who are equally on, on a good one of form. And we all know that Luton Millwall games always have that, add a bit of spice to them too. So who would you say are the key threats for Millwall and who do we need to look out for? Well, the Fobe's just started to absolutely fly. Um, and it's about time, to be honest, in the Championship, um, which is good for them. I think Jed Wallace obviously had a lot going on over January about, I think his, his contract's up in the summer and there was talk of a, of a move abroad. Um, so everyone who's watched Mil- us play Millwall before knows how good Jed, Jed Wallace is. Um, got to get close to him, got to make sure he doesn't get any time on the ball. Um, otherwise, that's a problem. And as always with Millwall, it's set plays. Um, Jake, Jake Cooper is an absolute mountain. Um, but we generally defend set plays really well. And I know I've said that now, and we'll probably concede from a set play. But, um, you know, Millwall, I think I think you're right, Jamie, it will be a real scene setter. Um, I think if we can just get a point out of that one, Millwall are chasing us, so the onus is on them to get the three points. We just get a point, that's a good platform for us to build on. Um, obviously, we want to win the game. Um, but they're in, in really good form at the minute. And, and with Afobe and Wallace, um, playing really well at the minute. That's it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. But I think a point would be a really good result for us to just set us on our way for the last seven games. And Billy and Ian, I just want to come to you on the Millwall game. And, and Dylan joked to me offline that do you start Kyoso three and Pops in the back three at Millwall, regardless of, of who's back fit? But actually, if you think about it, if you look at the way Kyoso was handled really well, your Cameron Archers and your yeah, your your Emery Jacobsons and and Tommy's for Hull. Do you, do you think that, that you can take comfort that actually Chelsea could could quite easily deal with a phobia? Yeah, uh, I think he's. Um, I wouldn't say he's fully surprised me in in that role, Kyoso, but he's he's definitely um, done a bit better than I thought he would do. Um, he's had an ability. He's defended really really good, and I think that was questionable at the at the start of the season. Um, I think him for sure. I think he's he could definitely be in the mix for me. Bree, um, obviously for his creativity and and everything else, he needs to be back in his in his rightful position. Um, but yeah, I won't be against Kioso starting. It depends who's back. I, you know, I don't know. Are we going to see Bradley back before the end of the season? It's not looking really likely, um, even to get him match fit. So, um, and it you know seeing who else is coming back into the fold. Potts has done well as well, to be fair. Um, you know, there's it's hard to take take a place away from anyone when they've they've performed so well. Um, but then you've got to look at what's stake. So it's he's got a lot of hard decisions to make, as Nathan. Um but certainly everyone's given that hard decision to make. They've all done really, really well in that in that position. Even Bree in his position at, at centre back did really, really well, I thought. Yeah, and I think if you look at what I think if you look at the the players that have come in, um, we've been very, very, we've been dealt some massive blows. I think, I think that that sort of period where Lockyer and Naismith, you know, suddenly were out the side, and then Burke, you know, pulled his hamstring within the first half. It, it was just as if the world was crumbling down, and the the playoff push was over. It all seemed that all the negatives were coming, but then you see the, the performances that those three have put in and it, it provides you with so much confidence that, you know, if we are dealt these sort of adverse sort of conditions and we can deal with them, um, 
brilliantly. And if Kyoso is called upon again, I'm sure he'll, he'll put in a, a really good shift. If Potts is called upon again, and that, you can take a lot of confidence from that. But ultimately, if Naismith is fit, Naismith, for me, should be playing. It's, it's not just his defensive ability, as we know, his, his ability to progress the play and start attacks. And, you know, the, the sort of understanding he's, he's developed with the midfield is it's just... Something that makes me think that, you know, if he is available, then he has to play. He's one of those players that, for me, is it has to be one of, if not the first name on the team sheet. Let's go straight on to our score predictions then for the game. Uh, I'll start with you, Ian. Um, I think Dylan said earlier um, about a draw. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's got potential to have a draw. They've drawn a few games recently. Although, you know, we haven't drawn many, um, I think um, it might be quite a, a tense game and I think a draw might be in the offing for this. And I'd I take it as well. I think, you know, it, it kind of just gets a few cobwebs out of the way and uh, we can move on from there, really. Um, I'd definitely take a draw. So I'm going one all. Dylan? Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Um, I think Mill were a good side. We're a good side. We'll... And, and a draw would be fine. So I think um, I think one all as well. And, and Billy, for you, I know sometimes you can be pessimistic, sometimes you can be optimistic. What, what, what side of the fence are you on today? I'm on the optimistic side and I don't know why and I don't like it, but I'm, I'm going to go for a 2-1 Luton win and I'm going to hold that right until Saturday until I probably um, come out of it and get really nervous again and change my mind. <laughs> and, and I think... I agree. Two one Luton. I think, but like I said, it will set the scene if we can, if we can beat Millwall and go into those back to back arrays, Peterborough and Huddersfield. It will start us off well, uh, and and that's all we've got time for today. We hope you've enjoyed this uh, this big preview episode looking at, at the playoff race. Billy, Dylan, thanks for joining me as always, and Ian, thanks for joining us. And thank you also to the six other special guests. You can find all their details in the, in the episode description. If you're new to Oakway Tata, please do subscribe to us on your favourite podcast app and check us out at uh, Oakway Tata on Twitter and at Oakway Tata Pod on Instagram or check out our written stuff at oakwaytata.com. Thanks for listening and goodbye. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.